Welcome back to the Content Lab here for our first episode of 2021. I think, Liz, you join me in bidding a fond goodbye to 2020. Liz Moorhead, co-host, yeah. editorial director at Impact. Talk to me about how you're feeling wrapping Fun up this farewell. year of years. Yeah. That was such a diplomatic way for, uh, you know, I, I I very rarely take advantage of the fact that our podcast has an explicit rating. That's a very diplomatic way of saying 2020, get the fuck out of my house. Like, <laughs> now I'm done. Like, technically, you and I are recording this as we're looking ahead to what is the last final, what, 10 days of the year, which is wild to me. It feels like just yesterday, all of us were making jokes in Slack about how January was taking forever. I think at one point I was like, welcome to January 37th because this month will never end. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny because over um, over the weekend, I was looking at some pictures from the year to assemble for like an end of year uh, project. And I'm looking at pictures from January and uh, I want to like shake myself and, and, you know, I didn't even know it was coming, I guess. You know, there were rumblings of, of it in the world news that there was this virus outbreak in, in China. But we were like, I, there are all these pictures of us out at museums and doing these really normal things, having friends over. And yeah, it, you know, it's so yeah. funny you mentioned that. And I had no plans of sharing this. Literally right before you and I started recording, I was working on an article for impact about repurposing budgets that got squandered due to the pandemic. And I'd actually, if, you, if you'd like to humor me for a moment, I would love to share just like the few opening graphs because it speaks exactly to that. Please. Uh, I had big plans, trademark, for 2020. Although I was financially strapping myself in for the most part, as one does following a divorce and a big move from Maryland to Connecticut to be exact, I still found a way to squirrel away a little bit of money in my budget each month to go out on new adventures. For example, I was planning a week-long road trip from Connecticut, which would take me and my Jeep across New York State through Buffalo onward to my final destination of the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. Along the way, I had planned to stop at local craft breweries, do some hiking, and other fun shenanigans. Sadly, all of those Pinterest-worthy plans went right out the window within 18 days of me moving to the Nutmeg State, when Governor Ned Lamont issued a stay-at-home stay orders and travel advisories in the wake of the rising COVID-19 pandemic. So what did I do with all that extra budgeted cash I could no longer use to eat, pray, love my way across the Northeast and into Canada? Did I do something smart, like build up a strong emergency savings fund or pay down debt? Of course not. Instead, I've spent the last nine months cornering the leggings in a leisure wear market, you know, because I need to look my best, quote, walking the runway for my at-home audience of one, my cat, now that I'm a shut-in with limited human interaction. <laughs> oh, man, that is awesome. Like, I love the eat, the eat, pray, love budget. That's fantastic. I know. I was so ready. I was going to get like a leather jacket. I was going to do like all of these things. And instead, I'm just like clad in spandex constantly. I'm not even kidding. I am today waiting for five different pairs of leggings to show up. Like I have a problem. <laughs> so how am I feeling about looking ahead to the new year? Uh, you know, even though we broke the fourth wall instead of recording this at the end of the year, I'm kind of glad that today, instead of recording an episode for the holidays, which we had already done last week, we are ending our year talking about the future and what we're really hoping to get out of it. 
you know, and you and I had some conversations about, you know, what did we want to do this year for our, our first episode of 2021? And I think it's really easy right now to get really caught up in, you know, how, how do you even talk about New Year's resolutions? Like, is our goal just to be human beings who know how to talk to other humans in the new year? Like, how do we actually plan for this? So instead of just talking about resolutions, we thought today, John and I would take a little bit of time to share with you, each of us, two lessons from this year and two resolutions for 2021, which I'm kind of excited about. I'm very excited about. I think these sorts of forced reflections actually get you to do the things that are so easy to avoid. It feels like, I don't know, I usually make New Year's resolutions, but 2020 was not a year like any other. And I'm glad that we're doing this because it's kind of prompting me to, to actually make them and to broadcast them, which makes me think that I'll stick to them. Yeah, I remember right before we started recording, I said, you know, when I, I it was my brilliant, <laughs> I, well, it was our collective brilliant idea. And I was the one who said, let's do two lessons and two resolutions because I like symmetry. <laughs> um, but then the, today when I was thinking about well, what do I want to talk about? I'm like, what? I don't know what I want to talk about. I, damn, why did I have this dumb idea? Why did I suggest this? But the, it's kind of like what you said, when you sit down and purposefully think, instead of letting like all of the distraction and all of the noise around you sway you away from reflection and planning. I, I was surprised at the answers I came away with. These were not the four things I expected to write down on a piece of paper for today. So that makes me pretty interested and intrigued. Do we start with lessons learned? I'd say lessons learned. Let's start by looking we look, back. Look, we look back and then we look forward. Okay, <laughs> great. Um, let's hear one. Okay. Uh, this one, I'm going to lead with a very specific one. So one of the things that has been fascinating about this year, and I, and I alluded to this when I did my dramatic recitation of my introduction, um, you know, I did go through a divorce this year and I, um, or at the end of last year. And when you've been with someone for 10, 12 years, you kind of lose a bit of your sense of self. So what's been very interesting this year is to get to know myself a little bit better. And one of my little quirks that I have uncovered is I need a 24 hour rule. And by that, I mean, when somebody gives me a big piece of information, like Liz, you now need to go do this big thing. Liz, um, your team has been doing X thing one way. Now uh, I want you to pretend the sky is orange and the ground is blue and everything that was upside down is now right side up and everything's inside out. Now, good luck and let me know how you're going to do that. Like, do you know what I mean? When somebody gives you that big change and some people are able to kind of, um, some people are able to take that step back and maybe they aren't perfectly reacting in the moment, but I tend to get very reactive. I get very like defensive about my people and I have lots of questions and I make very like my, you know, my face, it just, it does what it wants. It's very expressive. And it took me a while to rein that in. And I think this year really forced me to reconcile with the fact that, you know, change, even when it's positive is disruptive. And I've never been someone who I am great at making plans 
that are adaptive and flexible. I'm a very scrappy problem solver and thinker and systems builder. But that first 24 hours, I am usually not in good shape. I'm usually pushy. I'm usually defensive. I'm usually reactive. I'm the person who says why something can't be done. So my lesson learned for this year is that I had, and I've been implementing this over the past three months, which has been good because I've been presented with a lot of, Liz, you can figure this out challenges. Um, And I've been verbal about that. And I've said things like, you know, I need about 24 hours to process this. Or what you're seeing right now is me just hearing this for the first time. And I've also stopped saying no to things within the first 24 hours. I am forcing Mm -hmm. myself to say things like, I have reservations. I need to think about it. I need to think about it. Because I noticed in two very specific cases, uh, we have a new program that we're going to be launching in the new year. And I I don't want to give it away. But John, you know that program you're about to helm at the beginning of this year? Mm -hmm. I originally thought that was a terrible idea and said no in very, like, no uncertain terms. 24 hours later, on the phone to Bob Ruffalo saying, I slept on it, I thought about it, I was wrong, and here are all the 18,000 ideas about why I think this could be amazing and this is what we should do. So I think that's my biggest lesson, is give yourself 24 hours. We're all feeling like all of this emotional whiplash, but you have to be self-aware enough about what are your weaknesses? Where do you fall down? And like, I'm really good in a pinch, but I'm the biggest pain in the ass in the first 24 hours when you give me something. I love that. That's fascinating. That's such good advice for all. Uh, You know, just the idea that you have to ask for processing time and how much that matters when you're presented with new information that shakes, Mm -hmm. shakes the foundation. And I don't know. You're right that there are some people who can just very quickly take something in stride, ask questions that feel really germane to to what they're being, uh, you know, what they're learning. Uh, I don't think that's me either. And that might not be anyone. I think, you know, maybe sometimes people are able to fake it a little bit, but we need to come to terms with things. And uh, I I love that. Ask, let me, give me 24 hours. And, And, you know, it's so funny because I think in, in the professional sphere, so often we ask for, you know, we will say something and say, okay, so does that make sense to anyone? Does anyone have any questions? And that's like the absolute wrong time to ask for questions. You should be asking for questions 24 hours later, or, you know, at, at least a little bit, uh, a little bit of time later so that people have that, that blank space to, to process. Yeah. And the other thing too, that's nice is that If you also, this is the one thing that really was an extra benefit that I didn't realize. I started saying these things out loud, like, you know, I need 24 hours to process. I don't want to react right now. Don't worry. This is just my face. Let me sit on this. Let, Let me let this bake a little more. I also noticed that that actually gave me permission to, to not be defensive about the thing in front of me, because if I gave into those defensive motions mentally and immediately, I would automatically move down the path of I am against this thing. But when I not, when I gave myself the 24 hour space, I actually mentally started thinking in ways of like, Oh, I'm giving myself permission to consider this a good idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so funny because you, you do get kind of, you start going down one path or the other. And if you can kind of hover and, and, and pause before you, before you start making up your mind, it's everyone wins. Oh yeah. yeah. I love it. All right. What's your first lesson? 
So my first lesson, uh, I did not come up with this or turn this phrase. Someone actually said it to me that I was interviewing and uh, I, I just loved it and it made a lot of sense to me and I've, I've allowed it to kind of seep into my outlook. And he said, never waste a good crisis. And I, I, I'm sure that's a, a phrase that someone has said or it's a something. I've never heard know. that. Okay. I had never heard it either. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, yeah, I like that. And so his explanation, and, and as I've kind of extended it to apply to this scenario is that, you know, tough times ask a lot of us. Uh, and we've all been challenged in so many ways this, this year, um, personally, professionally, emotionally. Um, but they also offer opportunities to, to take stock, to, to pivot, or to double down, you know, to, it, it's, if we can avoid, and I, I know that this is a big if, but if we can avoid panicking, if we can give ourselves the opportunity, not unlike you, what you were saying, Liz, to, to like stop, to take stock, to look closer, to see what you can learn from, you know, from any challenge. Um, I, when things are good, no one is in a position to make any changes. No one is in a position to like ask hard questions. Granted, you you know you should you should you should fix the rain fix the roof when it's not raining, but you know that that uh, that doesn't always happen. And and the idea of never wasting a good crisis is is taking advantage of the hard questions that crises make us ask, and you know potentially making some big changes or or really scrutinizing all of your choices and, and all of the things that you believe and acting accordingly. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that more. First of all, I've never heard that turn of phrase before and now I want to use it all the time. Um, yeah. Number two, uh, I, that point you made about, you know, nothing really gives or changes when things are going fine. You're absolutely right. Innovation springs from, from points of stress where people are forced to make a change. Like, for example, we talk a lot about the They Ask You Answer philosophy by Marcus Sheridan. Marcus Sheridan didn't come up with that business philosophy or realize that it worked because things were going fine. And so he thought it would be a good time to experiment with content marketing and doing something new with his business. It was the Great Recession. Overnight, he lost about, I think, a quarter million of business that had been scoped out with no hope of it being fixed for his pool company. His checking account was negative. His wife was just, you know, everybody was feeling the stress and the burden of this. And that's when he, under serious stress and crisis, had to try something new, you know, because otherwise we'll always cling to the devil we know. I think also having, having really talked to Marcus about this a good deal, um, something else, you know, we talk a lot about the they ask you answer philosophy coming out of that financial crisis. I think he also, and I, I, I don't want to say this for certain because I, I might be mistaking this, but I think he also, his company closed two retail locations that they had these like store for brick and mortar storefronts for people like buy pool supplies and, and they were doing good business, but that that crisis forced him to kind of ask those hard questions and they kind of narrowed their focus, closed those stores. And ultimately that was a good decision for them that would never have been made otherwise. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're now just killing it. 
Yeah. You know, they have one piece of content that's now made them millions of dollars, but that only happened because he was a pool guy. He wasn't a marketer. Like he's known now as someone who puts forward digital sales and marketing approaches for small, medium-sized businesses. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, he was pool guy who was backed into a corner and either his whole world was going to fall apart or he was going to find a way to save his business from the brink. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think that's such a valuable piece of advice. I love that. Yeah. Okay, Liz, uh, what's number two? I learned nothing else this year. I am a, I'm a queen. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with me. Uh, no, actually, the, the second lesson I have is a bit more positive. So the other one, it was more like recognition of a, hey, this is an area where you could probably work on it. You big old lunatic who hates change. Um, but the second one is that I'm capable of much more than I thought was possible. Um, and maybe this is somewhat thematic of the other lesson I've learned in other parts of this year that, you know, I spent a lot of time saying no to things leading into this year. And this year I've had to say yeses to a lot of things I probably would have otherwise said no to. So when we started this year as editorial director, what that really meant was I oversaw, for example, just our written content strategy. And now I oversee our video program and our written content strategy and our assignment selling strategy. And we're also gonna be integrating some impact plus stuff when it comes to our courses under my umbrella as well. Um, I also hated being on video at the beginning of this year. I went out of my way to avoid it. I actually, with our director of video production, Alex Winter, I once rescheduled a shoot with him seven times because I was trying to avoid getting in front of the camera. And thanks to the pandemic, Alex and I, it, since I started overseeing the video program, I had to go in front of the camera. We couldn't bring anybody else in front of it. And then what was it? A couple of weeks ago, I did a session at Video Sales and Marketing World about how to be comfortable in front of camera, which a year ago would have been completely laughable because I was terrified. I wasn't just like bad at it. I actively avoided it. And so I think it's really smart to just... It, this year has been punctuated in so many ways by reflecting on what we've lost. And I know for a lot of people hearing me say something like this, I, I want to acknowledge that I, I know I am very lucky in that I was able to keep my job and still be able to try new things. But I think no matter what state we're in, if we're looking back on this year, all of us to some degree or another rose above our own expectations of what we were capable of in 2019, just looking back by a year, you know, and I, I think that that's something I'm really going to carry with me going into next year, or I guess this year when it's broadcast, because we're, we're go we're time travelers in the future. <laughs> here, here. That's, so important. Everyone deserves to, you know, give themselves a pat on the back. Obviously you've, you've made incredible strides professionally and are, are overseeing ambitious and, and exciting programs. And, but at the same time, everyone has like put one step foot, one foot in front of the other, has taken steps forward, has said yes to things, has been willing to, you know, embrace, embrace the messy, as we say sometimes. What's one thing you said yes to that was different for you this year? I know I volunteer well, you for a lot of stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, you know, I, I took on uh, a new role, as as you know, back in August, which has been great. I've, I've started doing um, 
or this year I started doing sponsored interviews with uh, outside business leaders, which was a little scary at first, but is awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. Really glad I said yes to that. This year we started doing this podcast together. Mm -hmm. Was that that? Was that too? Yeah. So what was it? I don't know. This year is hard to take stock of, but I tried to say yes. Um, but as you all often say, Liz, you know, you often I also have to say no. If you're taking on something new, yeah. you, you know, feel free to, or be comfortable saying, uh, you know, saying no to something else to make sure that you know your own um, limits, which leads me to uh, my second lesson learned. Ooh, go ahead. So impact, impact has a uh, eight core values that we um, espouse and, and talk about and, and embody the best we can. And I'm not just saying this because I'm, you know, because I work here, but I really like them. Like I, I really like them all. And I really like how they even apply in my personal life, not just my pro professional life. Um, but I feel like a lesson I learned this year is the value of one of these, which is fulfill our promises. And uh, obviously there are things that are, beyond our, our control, of course. Um, but I feel like this year more than ever, we need to deliver what we say we will um, and know our own limitations. So don't make promises that we can't keep. Um, but when we do make promises, meet them. Communicate early and often, meet your deadlines uh, and live up to the expectations of your team because the way we get through crises like this is together. And um, if we don't, if we're not open with each other, if we're not kind of clear about where we are and how we're doing and where we are on various projects or responsibilities or assignments or whatever it is, um, then that trust sort of fractures and um, the relationships crumble and we're just not at our best. So my lesson is the value of fulfilling the promises we make. A hundred percent. And I, I'd say I'd even take that a step further. And sometimes that fulfilling your promise can manifest itself a bit differently because especially when things change, I know one of the things that I really struggled with earlier this year was that I was someone who really liked to hit my deadlines. And then when everything kind of started catching on fire and every day I would wake up and I was being handed a new reality because we had to pivot our strategy or we had to do this or we were putting on a virtual event or like there was a lot being thrown at me. I always felt like I was breaking promises, but sometimes fulfilling your promise means just going to someone and saying, Hey, this is exactly where I am and this is what needs to change. And so that open line of communication, like I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, the people that you're with, they need to be able to trust that you're going to come to them when you need help, when something needs to move. And not to just guilt yourself so much when something has to move after a good faith effort, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's a great one though. That's one of my favorite core values. We have a bunch of them too, like rooted in self-awareness. I love that one. Living in the solution. Embrace it. it. Yeah. Like living in the solution personally is one of my favorite core values of ours because I just, I, it is a pet peeve of mine when people just show up with problems and they're like, yeah. now what you going to do about it? Essentially, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. did there's no attempt mentally made to try to fix something. Just drives me nutty. You know, I, I, I've shared this at Impact, but not on, the, um, on this podcast that that's like, 
that, that that's become such a part of like me and my life that like my family all uses that now. Like my, my wife will be, you know, say to my daughter, like, okay, well let's live in the solution here. Like, how, you know, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just like language that we use because it is so useful for moving forward. It, it's so easy to kind of focus on the roadblocks and the impediments and, um, and be like, a, there are people who just are naysayers and who want to, um, talk about all the reasons you can't do something and and that sort of cynicism is contagious and unproductive it's exhausting yeah people are very exhausting all right now <sighs> let's slow down to speed up and embrace the pace and live in the solution and blah 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 and talk about resolutions is it my turn to go am i go am i up I yeah I'm yeah I'm yeah up. what's what's the resolution list all right uh i'm gonna start with Okay. I want to continue to push very aggressively to define what it means to really quote, build trust in content. Hmm. This is something we say a lot of impact and we don't say it in an empty fashion. And quite frankly, we're not the only people who say it, you know, your goal of your digital sales and marketing is to engender trust with your ideal buyers. So they like you and then they give you money. Like that's, that's the goal. You can't trust is so at the core of everything that you do as a business, but I've had some interesting conversations over the past few months. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm not hundred percent sure, but when I ask someone, okay, so, so video builds trust faster than any medium, right? Why? What does trust building look like? Like, what are the activities that you do? specifically as a content creator. I'm not just talking more broadly, like as a business leader or whomever, when you're the person who is creating a piece of content, whether you're standing in front of a video camera or sitting down at the keyboard to write a blog article or whatever it is that you're doing, what are the tactical steps you actually need to take to build trust? Hmm. Um, and I've had some illuminating conversations that really make me feel like I'm onto something here and that it's important for us to slow down it's not enough to say that like people say like honest and authentic content builds trust. I'm like, okay, so what does that look like? How do you know you've achieved it? What, what do your ideal buyers feel? Like, what do they say to themselves? And a perfect example is, you know, I've started peeling the layers back on like, let's say somebody is, let's say I'm standing on a stage and talking to people in an audience at a conference of people who have never met me before. You have a very short runway to build some measure of trust right at the top of that, either by creating a moment of, okay, I like this person. I'm entertained. I want to listen or, wow, that's me. That's, that's exactly what I'm thinking right now. Or, okay, I'm intrigued. Like something where they, they, they latch on, they cling. And then you take that a step further and you look at things like storytelling and you and I both read Margot Lightman's, you know, it's long story short, the only storytelling guide you'll ever need because I forced everyone I've known to read that book. Um, I even put it on our content marketer gift guide list uh, for this year. And that's the best stories are ones where people can relate to them and put themselves in your stories. You know, that again is a measure of trust. So that is my resolution for this year is to get more nitty gritty on the tactics you need to embrace in order to build trust building content, not like a shortcut, not like I'm untrustworthy. How do I make people trust me even though I'm a lying liar? Uh, 
really what that looks like. And then how, what are the manifestations and signs that you have successfully built trust in someone who is on the other end of your piece of content? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think we talk about enough. We, it's something we say, like authenticity and brand awareness. The, you know, the architecture of trust to me is, is a study of psychology, you know, and, and um, I think so much of marketing inherently is, is psychological. Um, and I think the best, the most interesting minds who really dig into it are, are psychologists. Um, you know, to look at how people actually make decisions and, and they're actually better at describing why people make decisions than the people are themselves who, you know, are, are typically terrible at, at understanding their emotional and, and intellectual state when they're, when they're deciding something. Um, I love it. Super interesting. So we'll see what comes in the new year. Yeah. Uh, Resolution number one for me is to stop blaming roadblocks. And I feel like this, this pandemic has supplied us all with an almost limitless number of excuses for anything. And uh, I'm going to try to stop uh, focusing on those. It's similar to kind of what we were talking about before. Um, but to, you know, stop blaming the fact that I don't have the time, that I'm working from home, that I can't get to the gym, that I can't do this, that I can't do that, that I have um, things standing in my way. And that, like we were saying before, feels like the wrong mindset. And, um, you know, it, it is the limitations that often uh, define and, and actually help, help kind of shape the way creation and ideas happen. Um, and so I'm going to try to resolve to stop blaming roadblocks because we all know plenty of them and it's uninteresting to, um, to just put our focus there. Was there a particular moment or experience that when you sat down to think about what your resolutions were going to be, that was the one that kind of surfaced to the top? Well, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a moment. I think, I think it's a, a general reflection on what the year has has put in front of all of us um and i know like you said we're we're lucky that we have jobs that we have um uh that you know that sort of support allowing us to to do the work that we do to to be creative to um to think critically about um about the projects and the challenges that are ahead of us um but just like the the whole like live in the solution thing that's the, the cynics who, who focus on, uh, you know, I, I think it's, 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 there were times this year where I felt myself being cynical and I consider myself a sort of uh, like an unflinching optimist um, that I have to remind myself that that's who I am and who I want to be. And this is a resolution to help that. I like that. I'll steal that for myself too. <laughs> Um, okay. So my second resolution is one that I know you'll love. And we actually talked about this a little last week. My resolution is to read more. This year has a, was gen, genuinely, I believe, you know, tough for everybody. I just felt myself so mentally exhausted 
as days would run together and weeks would feel like one long day and the line between when I was working and when I was not working became blurry to the point of concern, I would say at a midpoint around the summer, um, which made it really hard for me to turn my brain off. And I shunned books and actually a lot of reading of any kind, even online. And recently I have only started turning off my screens again. Cause like the only way I could really like mentally escape all of the, you know, gestures at everything um, was to like really get into movies and to go for drives and listen to podcasts. And I just stopped reading. Like, and I, I had to proactively turn off my screens and start reading again. And so I've been reading a few books recently and it just reminded me of a, a couple of things. Number one, it reminded me how much I enjoy it, how much I love escaping into a really good book. Um, I also think there's something to be said for, I think people get wrapped up, up in the books that they think they're supposed to be reading. Like I had this book that had been given to me as a gift a couple of years ago. I opened it up thinking I would enjoy it. I'm like, eh, I'm actually kind of bored. And I set it aside and read something else and that's fine. Um, but more than that, I forgot it's how I learn as a content creator. Um, we talk about it a lot. We even talked about it in the last episode, like you and I are both like prolific lovers of the New York, uh, the New Yorker humor section. I learned so much from satire writing and humor in general. Um, but no matter whether I'm reading about the craft of, of content creation and writing itself or it's fiction or it's something else, reading is how I learn. It's how I learn new techniques, new styles, get inspired to try different things. Um, and so I'm not going to set some crazy goal, like I'm going to read a hundred books next year, but I am going to go out of my way to read more, to turn off the TV and just cuddle up on my couch and read. I did that over the weekend and it was amazing. I love it. I love it. A good resolution for all, you know, that like this past year, 2020, um, there was this big book that I had been like intimidated by. I had bought a copy recommended by a friend. And um, this is like 900 pages, like super small font. And I'd started it and, and was blown away, like back in like 2017, maybe when it came out, but just like never got enough of momentum. And I, I resolved that like, I was going to read that book this year. Um, and, uh, and I did, and it was amazing, but you know, it's like giving yourself that permission to commit to something, which is, it's so easy with, um, you know, I, I remember I, I heard this, this guy speak one time and he talked about how like we, we make it, we make it so easy to watch television, you know, like you, you put your television in front of like the most comfy seat in your house with the remote control sitting right there. So if you're gonna sit down, you're gonna sit down there and then here's the remote and then here's the, it's like so easy. And he talked about how he, um, he was trying to practice journaling. He was a naturalist and he was trying to like write down the things that he had seen when he was out uh, exploring in the woods. And he talked about how he would always leave his chair to his desk like angled out, a, just enough and how he would always have his notebook open with a pen in it. And so it was like easy for him to sit down and the pen is right there. And it, it's like you remove impediments to the thing you wanna do and who you wanna become and you're more likely to be that. I, I remember when I was um, 
when I was really into uh, into playing the guitar, I would always leave my guitar on top of like the comfortable chair in my room. So whenever I would like go into my room and sit down, I would naturally like ha literally have to pick up my guitar to move it to sit down. And then I had my guitar in my hands and I would just kind of start playing. And I, I love the idea that we can kind of like trick ourselves into being the person that we want to be um, by removing the impediments. A hundred percent. You know, you also just mentioned something there that it, it, it one, I read an article recently that really kind of spooked me out of like screens a little bit, which is it, Emily in Paris was some Netflix show that I didn't watch, but it resulted in a couple of think pieces. And one of them that really kind of jumped out at me just from the title alone is the rise of ambient television, where we just have it on for the sake of having it on. We're not really watching it. In fact, the purpose of the show is not really to like engage you in some like really deep, intense plot. It's to have it on in the background while you're scrolling through your phone or doing other things. <laughs> and it's just like, I thought about that and like, I treat the Godfather trilogy that way. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, I could just literally, I, I'm still waiting for the Godfather channel to happen like with a bunch of interstitials and like documentaries and interviews, but like, that's never gonna happen. Um, but anyway, I'm getting away from my point. My point is that I, I really like what you said about how we do orient ourselves around televisions and things like that. And I think sometimes as content creators, like one of the reasons why I didn't read so much is that I used to tell myself like the last thing I want to do is consume words when I've been doing it all day. And I forgot how much of an escape it is. Like it's really just mentally unwinding to let someone else put words in front of me that I don't have to edit. <laughs> Agreed. When it's like, it's just so good too. Like yeah, we edit a lot where, you know, there's always something to edit. And when you read, um, you know, you read something that's already been impeccably edited. It's oh, pretty nice. I love oh, it. Oh. So my second, uh, my second New Year's resolution is to stop being defensive and ashamed of my own ignorance. And what? But no, no, no. Well, as someone from outside the field of marketing, you know, I, I was a teacher for about um, ten years or so. Um, even a couple of years, a year and a half into my work at Impact, I often find myself holding back from making suggestions or asking a question because I feel like it's something that everyone already knows or that everyone has already thought of or something like that. And I want to um, give myself permission and encourage myself to speak up more, uh, knowing that if I have a question, I'm probably not the only one and that uh, my suggestions might have value, might uh, might not, but if you hold them in, they do no one any good. So I want to try to be more vocal in speaking up, um, giving myself processing time, as you said, Liz, which is important, um, but to be more uh, more comfortable speaking my mind and sharing my opinions and questions. You've been watching my face make a lot of faces over the past, what, 30 seconds? I cannot believe this. So, and just for everybody listening, John is on my team. What? You've been holding back on me? Well, I'm coming for you in 2021. Let me tell you what. On the spot interrogations. Now, thing. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to verbally pick you up and shake all the ideas out of you. I think wherever we come from, um, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I, we work with a, a great team of really smart people. And um, I don't think that's necessarily intimidating, but I, I think it it asks our best 
and um, I want to uh, feel more and more comfortable. And I think I have become, obviously, and will continue to become, but I want to consciously become more willing to stop people if I don't understand, more willing to, you know, ask questions if, um, if something doesn't seem right or doesn't sound right to me, even if that is, um, you know, a quote unquote dumb question. I love that. I'm totally putting you on the spot way more next year. Or I guess this year when we're listening to this. This year, rookie, 2021. Rookie. I know it feels so weird to say that I don't think I'm ready. <laughs> that was a great that was a great resolution to end on i like that a lot so this is a kind of non-traditional you know it's not as it doesn't follow the usual format of our uh of our content lab recordings so i don't think we formally have a a, a structure to end on do you have like closing thoughts you want to share liz or anything I'll, I, I will say one thing that, that, that we were actually talking about right before we started recording, which is, as Liz said, this is, it's the run up to the Christmas holidays when we're recording this. And um, just this past weekend, I watched with my kids and my wife, Miracle on 34th Street, which was like this, you know, it's a classic movie that I had never seen. And it came out during actually the weekend before I had never seen A Christmas Story the one with, you know, when Gile, you it's Italian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The kid who wants the, the BB gun, um, another classic. And, um, you know, there are, there are those things that you just kind of miss, you know, they're like holes in your, in your pop cultural frame of reference inside your head. Um, and this isn't a resolution per se, but I want to be on the lookout for those. And I want to, you know, kind of like these both totally lived up to the hype. And um, I want to be willing to fill in those gaps. That's so funny. So you're not alone. Uh, I too will be watching a Christmas story for the first time ever. And I've also never seen It's a Wonderful Life. So I think everybody has those little pop culture gaps. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think if, if I have anything profound to end on. I don't know. It's been such a strange year right now. Uh, you know what I will say? And this is kind of funny. Um, normally, I am a big holiday movie hound and holiday everything. Like, literally, I am. I don't know if you've ever seen that meme where it's like, on October 31st, you're Bette Midler and Hocus Pocus. And on November 1st, you're Buddy the Elf and you're ready to, like, Christmas explode everywhere. I am that person. I am the terrible human who's at Target going, it is 12.01 a.m. on November 1st. Where is all my Christmas stuff? I need it right now. Um, <laughs> this year, though, it's been a little bit different. I have spent actually the past two or three weeks watching an aggressive amount of true crime. And I've watched the Godfather trilogy like multiple times because Francis Ford Coppola released his recut of Godfather Part 3. Uh, with lots of changes in it. Is it uh, better? I need to watch it a couple more times. I really will say the beginning and the ending, I like the significant changes that were made there. I would say the ending is a little bit more subtle, but very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, it's just hard knowing, like this is where I'm going to become clearly like a godfather, like obsessed person. I can never unknow the fact 
that Robert Duvall's character, Tom Hagen, who was always the big counterweight to Michael Corleone, was supposed to be in this movie and they refused to pay Robert Duvall $5 million more to put him in the movie. $5 million would have made a massive difference in the plot because you needed Tom Hagen there. And instead they put in what that, that tanned piece of leather, George Harrison, like it was never going to work. Like even Sofia Coppola, as much as she can't act her way out of a shoebox, I will say having watched this over and over again, we're really mean about that. But like really the biggest problem is that there's a clear void in there and I could never figure out what it was. And as soon as I figured out that $5 million is what's kept us from having Robert Duvall back in that third piece, I'm just like blown away. Like hmm. that was the counterbalance to Michael Corleone's character that was missing. And it had to be filled by his sister, Connie. So this is a tangent, of course. And But I feel like I've seen Godfather 1 and 2 a bunch of times. I think I've only seen Godfather 3 like once. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have to watch it again to, to know. But, I, I, you know, at the same time, I'm kind of, I'm kind of pissed at, at Robert Duvall for like holding out to not make it back for the trilogy. Like how much screen time is he really going to have He's already rich. You're going to hold out for $5 million? Well, think about the but, flip side of that, though. Godfather 3 was 100% going to make millions and millions of dollars. He, I, my understanding is the way negotiations went was, I'm going to do this, but you have to pay me fairly. So it just will take an extra five mil to do that. And they just said, nope, you're out. Like it was a boom, you're done. And it's just like, to like pay him the $5 million. It's Robert freaking Duvall. How is George, Har not George Harrison. Who, what is his name? George Harrison. I don't know, but not, Beatle. definitely not George Harrison. Yeah. George Harrison, the Beatle. Not it. I'm so sorry to the Beatle. <laughs> uh, I'm so upset about whomever this person is that clearly I'm just like, I'm not there. I'm not there. And instead they're like, oh yeah, he died. And now his son's a priest. And like, that was the end of Tom Hagen's story. Anyway. So this whole big tangent is to say, um, God, this is a massive tangent. No, I've just <laughs> been really enjoying like just being completely counter to everything I thought was like, this must be this way. This must be that way. I much watch this movie all the time. I must always be listening to Christmas music. I watched The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor. I've been to those both over the past two weeks. I watched a true crime documentary called Murder on Middle Beach, which actually took place in Madison, Connecticut, which you did not know. Um, I turned it on yesterday. I'm like, huh, this is all very familiar. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, my big advice going into the new year is like, we all went into this year with our plans and our rules and our, this is the way it's always been done. Watch a horror movie on Valentine's day. Say yes to something you would otherwise say no to. Give yourself a break. None of the rules apply anymore. Have some fun. <laughs> that's my I favorite i tied it up i brought it back i didn't think i was gonna yeah. be able to do it but i brought it back and with that you could have brought it back with a godfather quote and that would have been like a complete tying a bow on it but i think you did you know what good. you're right whenever you want to get upset at the pandemic for hurting you remember it's not personal it's just business yeah there you go and she did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. all, right. all right well to everybody out there, hopefully you're starting 2021 with uh, the right attitude and we'll all, we're all going to get through this together. Stay together. Help each other. Be kind. Be patient. 
Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.